Hello, and welcome to Laidback Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. I am, as ever, your trepidatious host, Michael, and with me is Gabe. I am WSCT Level 3 Certified in Wine, and I am an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. Phenomenal. And today we are uh, giving phenomenal, phenomenal, amazing, fantastic, superb, absolutely wonderful, blissful, uh, transcendent. (laughs) Oh, oh. we got to end with transcendent. We got to end. You don't get higher than transcendent. No, you can. You've already transcended. (laughs) (laughs) Every episode, I feel like we started. We started. We did. So good. And then immediately right off. Like, why did we start competing on synonyms for good? You know, why not? Why not? You know, it's what? the holidays. It's the holidays. And what could be more holidays than trying to one up the people you love? And one of the strategies <laughs> is actually to uh, try and bring something that nobody else has heard about and then act like an expert, which happens to be the topic for our episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is actually kind of perfect. That for, was for a beautiful introduction to the topic. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go reward myself <laughs> later with like a, very expensive wine or something i don't know don't you dare you're in my house <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm i meant from your selection i'm gonna go find one <laughs> yeah no, no i'm i'm shopping at your place quite literally and i'm not paying for it yeah shop shopping i'm shop lifting from there we go place. five yeah. finger discount that's the only thing i believe in <laughs> exactly um, but no it is actually like a thing you know uh and i know i've been guilty of it in the past i think Everybody has. And and to be clear, to really, truly introduce the episode, we're talking about social media and its impact on wine discourse, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Because Um, where are you going to go when you need answers? You're going to go to Google. Yeah. And you're going to go to a review site or you're going to go to Twitter or something like that. And you're going to type in wine. Yes. Or what is wine? Do we just want to pull that up yeah, real let's, quick? Yeah, let's do that. So we, we're like, what What are the people also ask just from wine as a prompt? Yeah. And so we Googled it. We Googled it. Why, why don't you read us off some of these, Gabe? Okay. Which wine is best for drinking? That's a really good question. That, that's actually, you know, it's it's a good question. It's a little naive. It's a little open-ended. Yeah, because this It is... kind of doesn't have an answer. Let's look at their answer, and then let's okay. let's give our answer. That, you afterwards. know what? That's actually a good idea. Okay, so... Oh, so oh, they just, just go ahead and give you an answer. It just gives you the five most popular wines, which, okay, A, is this by sales? Is this by reported enjoyment? Is this by other metrics? Yeah, like, they literally just list out Pinot Grigio as number one, mm-hmm. followed by Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Rosé, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And listen, I try really hard not to shame grapes, but Pinot Grigio as is the, the best one? wine for drinking. That's like the wine that you use in order to trick a person into thinking that they're having a seltzer. Y- yeah, yeah. Oh, this no. is just, it's a still seltzer. I've had a couple like uh, a Pinot Grigio, like from Friuli. Uh, there's um, good Pinot Grigio, but the vast majority is like glug wine. You yeah, just we know drink for a fact it. this is barefoot yeah. Pinot Grigio. Oh the, yeah. Well, we don't know for a fact. I gotta, I gotta correct. I've we can make horrified. an educated guess. Yeah. Well, I'm saying I've now been horrified from the research that went into this episode. From <laughs> saying I know for a fact. Fair. You know, I, so we can make a reasonable estimation that this is probably just a sales thing. Well, okay. So this list is bunk. I'm just gonna go ahead and say yeah. that there is no best wine for drinking. It depends on what you're drinking it for. Are you drinking it on its own? Are you pairing it with a meal? What is your taste in general like? I don't particularly like normally oak Chardonnay, even though I did buy one for Thanksgiving. Um, but I also recognize other people really enjoy that style of wine. So, like, how can wait? How does that answer that question? No, exactly. There is no best wine. It's a process of self discovery. What is the best wine for you to drink? We can't really tell you that. No, we can't. Yeah, this is an answer that only you can have. You must go inside yourself. Exactly. Yeah. What else (laughs) does Google? What What else does Google say people are looking at though? Um, Let's see. Is wine a strong alcohol? No. No. But that's a good question. Yeah, it is a good. That is actually legitimately a very good. Like, if you know nothing about wine. And I guess this also is a bit subjective, port right? Port is wine, because we're talking about a range. But port normally doesn't top, like, 20%. 
Yeah, no, it has to be very special. Yeah, because I, I am comparing this to liquor, which actually the next prompt on Google is, is wine and alcohol or liquor. Liquor is different than wine because wine is fermented grape must. Liquor is typically around um, 30% ABV or above and made from often grains or herbs or something like and that. And then typically and distilled. distilled. Yes. Yeah, that's distilled the, that's is the, the big, big key defining difference. Because yes. you can distill wine. Yeah. And you make brandy. Exactly. Which is a liquor. And it's delicious. Yes. So brandy could be a wine liquor hybrid, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Uh, these are these are actually they're not bad questions. I'm actually surprised by some of these at how apt they are because when it's saying oh people also ask these are like mass populist questions. Yeah, and and this is what I think one of the things we like to do on this podcast is try to speak to as many people as we can who might just be looking for information that the wine elites of the world tend to like to keep a little bit under wraps for whatever reason whether that be gatekeeping or just the lack of understanding to new drinkers sometimes because it can be hard because even now i try to be very simple when i'm around people that i know don't know a lot about wine Mm -hmm. and they're asking me questions and i still run into the problem of like i'll answer a question and i just get a blank stare and i realize that i've over explained something and and I'm not hitting what they were really getting at. Yeah, you kind of have to, with differing levels of knowledge, you kind of have to curate what you are giving somebody based on what will have traction with what they already know. That's part of why I think I thought of this episode's topic to begin with, or, or we did, because uh, we, you know, come up with these, both of us, uh, well, collaboratively. We, we had a, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we had an experience together that kind of inspired the idea. True. We'll get into that here in a second, uh, but uh, part of the reason why I wanted to do this episode and Michael thought was a good idea as well is how, when it comes to wine, so many people immediately jump onto social media, kind of like Michael said at the beginning of this episode, but social media might not always be the best method to find out the information that you're actually looking for. Well, and, it's, and it's natural, I think, to be afraid of making the wrong choice, especially if you are Let's say you're new to wine, you're invited to a dinner party, and you are given the responsibility of choosing a bottle, and you know the people that are hosting are quote-unquote wine snobs. That's intimidating. Yeah. Because you don't want to choose a bad bottle, but you don't know the difference between, like, how does Pinot Noir differ from New Zealand to Washington? You probably don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, unless you've had the experience, but it's it's kind of like a, oh, well, uh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the same thing that I do when I hear a new noise in my car. I'm going to go to Google. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and if I'm already at the store, I'm going to look at whatever has the shiniest label with the highest number on it. The highest number with the most names mm-hmm. and the, the most little ribbon insignias. Yes. Um, <laughs> but before we go into that, uh, let's get into the uh, the real inspiration behind this episode, yeah. I think. And, and it'll kind of let you guys know what to expect. So basically... I was uh, on my way to do our bad liquors episode, and I I had been spending some time with with a, a friend of mine. Hours, friend, Michael. Uh, yes, yes. Well, Excuse you. He was mine first. That that is true. Yeah. That's very true. You introduced yeah. us. So I was spending time with my friend. <laughs> mine, <laughs> mine, not yours. <laughs> mine and his family. Uh, no. Um. So I was spending time with them. And I, I mentioned the fact that I was kind of excited about it, but also a little nervous because, you know, <laughs> I never know how bad liquor or bad beverage is going to affect my mood. So, And that one was a ride. That was a ride. Listen to the 99 episode. That's the episode we're referring to. It was rough. It was there were there were a couple highlights though. Oh no, like you saying it's a ride, roller coaster is yes, probably ups, a good ups and downs. Ups and downs the entire time. I think we ended on a really good note. Yeah. Um so yeah. that that at least is good. It's always nice when you can you can leave happy. Exactly. Even if you cried. <laughs> um but uh when they heard the concept for the episode, they were like, "Oh, well, hey, we just got a bunch of wines we hated and we would love to give you one." Dear listener, did you know that Macy's has a wine club? Macy's has a wine club. Macy's, you know, that retailer that's closing stores because they're rapidly losing money in the current market conditions. Yeah. They have a, a wine club. It's almost like they're investing in a bunch of things that aren't working out for them. 
Hmm. It's almost huh. like they're floundering or something. Yeah, it's Imagine crazy. that. Imagine um, that. So they, they gave us this wine, and it was called the Lone Cardinal. It was a Zinfandel. Yep. Well, it was trying. Uh, it, it made that claim. A Napa Zinfandel, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So I, I didn't tell Gabe it was going to be terrible. Oh, no, he just showed me the bottle. And here's where your sneaky little behind got me. Because a cardinal, if you don't know, is the state bird of Virginia. So I assumed, oh, it's a Virginia wine. And there's not a lot of other writing on it. It's it's like lone cardinal, picture of a cardinal. We got this. Well, and, and I do believe California was on the front label. And so then I thought, oh, maybe like a Virginia winemaker went out to California and did like a collaboration with a different winery. Yeah, but he was so, still paying homage to our, our little uh, our little red bird. Yes. So I was excited. And I knew he would be. And, and I'm not sorry. And then. <laughs> Michael, what happened? Honestly, I would have had more satisfaction in how repelled you seemed from even the aroma if it wasn't that i was also wounded (laughs) it's nice to know that you would throw me under the bus as long as you got front row seats to the display of of violence front row no that's a little messy i'll do second row (laughs) okay (laughs) okay That's, good to know. Good to I, know. I don't want to be in the splash zone, you know. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, but in any case, though, it, this wine so lacked anything resembling a personality, or even uh-huh. just the things that define the varietal. I was about to say it. Was, it, it didn't even taste like Zinfandel. It didn't. Taste, well, it didn't. Actually, no. I take that back because I remember I actually called it as a Zinfandel. Hmm. Did you call it as a Zinfandel? Because uh-huh. in the process because, of tasting it. Because we were kind of like, maybe it's Pinot because it was weirdly light-bodied for a Zinfandel. But I remember thinking, something is telling me Zinfandel on this wine. Mm. But like I said, Lodi Zinfandel, like mass-market Lodi Zinfandel, because there's a lot of mass-market grapes That's that come right. out of Lodi. But it was it was interesting because in the conversation that we were having, Gabe ends up turning to me and he's just like, I feel like this is a Zinfandel, but I feel like it's like the most generic Zinfandel possible. Yeah, and it did taste like Omega Purple, which if you don't know, Omega Purple is a very prominent additive. It adjusts for color. I'm just surprised it didn't add anything for body. Well, and Omega Purple is thought to give a little bit of body. um, Not enough, apparently. Yeah. So. Personality. None. None. What fruits were we mostly getting? I think we like mostly actually got like like a stage between red and, and black fruit. Yeah, and... which that's common for Zinfandel. Zinfandel can show both, but it was but it was it like, was like one. it was jammy for yeah. one thing. And it was like jammy overripe cherry and strawberry from what I remember. But like the intensity was not there. Yeah. Um and, and it, it was rich. It wasn't rich, and it had a lot of oak that just was way out of whack with the rest of the wine. Well, and so what was weird about it is it, it wasn't jammy like, oh, you're getting a lot of really rich flavor. It was like jammy like somebody rinsed out the jam jar afterwards and you drank it. Yeah, it, it was it was a very bizarre wine and in a very bad way, like not in an interesting way, just in a like off-putting, I don't want to drink this ever again. And as kind far of as thing. your secondary flavors, we had oak, but it, that, it was, yeah, it was, I'm it felt pretty artificial. Sh- it felt wrong. Pretty sure it was either staves or chips that were not properly utilized. This is a bad wine. And as then, far as tertiary flavors, none. none. Um, so, none. and that's actually a really important thing to, <laughs> yeah. to know about this. So, what did we do? Having tried this wine. So we needed to know where this was coming from. Because I, di- I hadn't told Gabe that this came from a Macy's wine thing. That this was an actual wine club. Until this moment. Until we both were just sitting there wallowing in our discomfort. Yeah. Uh, and our disappointment. So we end up looking it up and everything. And we're trying to find, like, where did this actually come from? Like, is this just like a, a Macy's label? Do they own the facilities? We're trying to, you know, just figure out who's responsible for this. Who did this? Mm-hmm. And then we got to this place where we're both like, we need to know what people are saying. And I think it was when we saw the reviews on the Macy's website. They're all, you know, of course, amazing reviews. And everybody's yeah. saying they're wonderful. And we were like... 
Well, let's let's go to like a more popular review site and let's see let's see what people's reaction is because I feel like a lot of people might have gotten bamboozled and they would be like angry and I kind of I kind of want to I kind of want to not feel so alone in hating this. Yeah. What did we find, Gabe? Well, if you remember our episode on wine scores, you might remember uh well, A, we talked about wine scores in general, but B, we also gave some recommendations for where you can go to look at wines that you are curious about and some reputable sources. Unfortunately, we must we must retract one of those. Yeah. Um that is Vivino. We decided to go on Vivino to look at the Lone Cardinal. You broke my heart. I have never been more horrified but also giddy. We were hollering. Hollering. When when I tell you I am surprised we did not get a noise complaint. Yeah. We were sitting there for how long did we sit there? Oh, easily like at least 45 minutes. Just yelling at a computer screen. Because this wine had a ton of reviews. The overwhelming majority of them were at least four stars. Yeah. The average was was four stars and people were really laying it on thick. Mm -hmm. Like we were looking at reviewers who were just like, there's beautiful tobacco and spice and this and we're where like, where 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 are you seeing this that doesn't exist and we're like is is this the correct vintage this has to be like <laughs> yeah vintage. yeah i forgot we checked the vintage <laughs> no we had to know we we're just like there is there is no possible way that <sighs> that we are having the same wine that this was experienced by two human palates yeah. as this bad and somebody else thought it was amazing so that's kind of what the inspiration for what we're going to dive into now, which we've already been going recording time for a half hour. So apologize if that was a long winded introduction. But you I know. think all the content up until this point has been stellar, not to brag, but like you guys should totally follow us on Instagram and Twitter <laughs> at Laidback Lush. We're professionals. We're professionals and we're entertaining and uh, we should be followed. I'm just throwing that out there. Give us attention. Give us attention. <laughs> I need it. I'm in constant need of validation. I've been talking. <laughs> That's to my why I became a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing all these reviews, we were like, why do people buy into this as a good wine? And so that kind of served as inspiration for us to delve into social media. Mm -hmm. And which is what you should do at all times. You know, of course, uh, of delving course. into social media is a healthy thing. Yes. Not at all damaging to your mental health <laughs> um, and try and decipher how on earth could could someone buy into wine hype in a general sense to the point that they think that this tastes good? Because it doesn't. We both came at this from very different angles, and we both found some really interesting uh, trends that we would love to share with you. Uh, it's, it is fascinating how human communication works and yeah. how that ends up shaping the way that people see things or even how they experience them. Even just in that Lone Cardinal review, there is one in particular, and we ended up, I'm, I'm so sorry to this user, but we ended up like just going and looking at all mm -hmm. of the wines that mm -hmm. they had ever reviewed. And we did that many times over, just yeah. like this kind of slightly sultry uh, speech. It's just like, mm -hmm. you're just practicing to be a writer. You, yep. you don't enjoy wine. You have read too many wine labels and you thought that that gave you the know-how on how to describe wine yeah but you have to realize language is a tool it is not so single. is marketing yeah which is what is going to be on the back of a wine label exactly they are trying to to get you to buy into a thing and just because you know how to say luscious does not mean that what you are having is luscious and i do want to say just for you our listener we're not trying to shame anyone who has tried to understand wine through that method but just please understand going forward that is not a good way to learn wine because you are learning marketing. You're yeah. not learning, you know, more nuance. You're learning whatever the person selling you the thing wants you to know. Yeah. I mean, having wine, like we said, uh, that first question on Google, what is the best wine to drink? When you are discovering wine, it's not a competition for who can write the most words. It's about having a connection with your senses, uh, with your memories even, and being able to uh, identify 
what a wine is bringing with you. It's an interaction. It's not, uh, it, it's not a, again, a competition in order to see how many things that you could see in a thing. Yeah. It's to be able to break it down in order to understand it and to enjoy it and to give language to whether or not you like it. Yeah. So, and it's a social thing at that point, because then you get to share and that, that could be the strength of every social media website that does this. But Unfortunately, that's not what we discovered. Yeah. So I kind of broke this down by trends that I noticed on different social media platforms, because I did notice that they differ in various ways. So I want to start with Twitter. So we have the click of Twitter. Yes. Uh, Twitter is terrible. Don't use it. <laughs> I noticed on Twitter the style of talking about wine was very argumentative in a way, which is very reflective of Twitter as a whole and why yeah, a lot of tracks. people don't like it. However, there is one very humorous thing that I just I kind of want to put out there because it's incredibly funny to me. If you live outside of the US, I know we have a lot of international listeners and welcome back. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. We had our midterm elections, which basically uh, means an election that is affecting Congress, but is not a presidential election. And in a lot of states, we have what's called ballot measures. And ballot measures are where a certain piece of legislation is proposed to the popular vote of that election cycle. And in Colorado, they had two. One was to legalize magic mushrooms for, I believe, medicinal purposes. I don't think it's recreational. Yeah, no, they, they, there's been a lot of research as far as it goes with the effect in therapy. Yeah, uh, psilocybin as a compound in particular. And they had another ballot measure that was to allow grocery stores to sell wine, which I thought Colorado was a progressive state, but I guess when it comes to wine sales, they aren't. They did vote to legalize mushrooms. And as of my last insight into the matter they did not vote to legalize selling wine at grocery stores. And that's incredibly funny to me. No, that's I just hilarious. Need, I just needed to put that in. It does not really relate to the episode, and I'm sorry, but that no, is hilarious. That's, that's fantastic in a, in, a, like, in a horrible way. That's, it's kind of like a, a phenomenon. Baffling. Baffling to me. Moving on past this, okay, though, let's gotcha. get to the Ooh. actual uh, Twitter Ooh. wine hot takes. So... I just have some tweets that I want to read out to Michael, and I, I want to see how he reacts to them. I am so looking forward to this. Just going forward for the entire episode, I am not including handles or tags of people's accounts because I don't want to send hate to anyone. Not that I think you, our beautiful, wonderful listeners, would do such a horrific thing, but just to be safe. And so we, we, recom we actually uh, condemn that behavior. Yeah, uh, it, it's not productive. It's just it's silly and it's yeah. petty. So. First one, I know precious little about wine, but if supermarkets are in the indicator, the wine rating industry has a disastrous grade inflation problem. Huh. Disastrous grade inflation problem. Mm-hmm. So meaning the scores are far too high. Interesting. And this actually loops back to our wine scores episode. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, that's actually not the worst take I've ever heard in my it's life. It's not. Uh, I would say that's actually a very good take yeah I would, I would say that that pretty much sums it up uh, mm -hmm. maybe it's a a, a a little combative sure yeah but... you know don't blame the grocery stores it, this is a product being sold that's the the main problem is that this well is... we could in a way point the finger because a lot of marketers and sellers of wine do look for wines with a score because they know customers will pick it up more often yeah, no, exactly. It's uh, if uh, I forget what the percentage is, but there is an actual percentage. There, there was a study done because in the marketing world, I'll put it this way: in the marketing world, uh, when you are training in sales, it would probably be useful in order to use the statistics that show how different specific things affect whether or not a sale will happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of those studies that is public knowledge is the fact that. When there is a rating or even just a little gold sticker, that wine's going to sell more yeah. by a very specific amount. Yep. So it's not only something that you would be like crossing your fingers at. You have a percentage expectation that you can set if you just put this gold label. And that's why they start giving 
certifications for who can put those gold labels on there in general. But those certifications are from marketing people who have influence. So you have influencers in the wine world that are then influencing the percentage effectiveness of a little graphic. Hmm. Interesting. Well, unless you had anything else. No, that's a good take. The next one that I have from Twitter is, I hate wine snobs. You don't own a winery, so you don't have any authority to tell us what and what not to drink with our money. Hmm. Okay, so you are correct. Nobody has the right to tell you what to drink. I don't know who in your life, though, is holding a gun to your head telling you how to spend your money. <laughs> spend your money how you want to, but don't, don't you know, owning a winery doesn't mean that you know that much about the product. Uh-huh. Uh, as we found out through the Lone Cardinal uh, <laughs> fiasco, yeah, um, the event, the happening. Um, also, don't despise people educating themselves. Granted, it... Whoever made this person feel so socially pressured to buy specific wines, you know, maybe maybe uh, pump the brakes on your intensity, I guess. Yeah, I uh, so my take on this tweet, because I have some thoughts on it. Yes, wine snobs kind of suck. They're not fun to be around. Yeah. It's not fun to be around negative people in general, right? But owning a winery doesn't mean that your wine is good. Or even that you have a comprehensive knowledge of wine. It just means that you make wine. Yeah, like, are you, are you kind of crapping on sommeliers? And exactly. extensive training in order to understand wine? That's my next point, is you don't have to own a winery on the flip side of my previous point to understand what makes good wine. Yeah. So this is, it's both a good and a bad take, in my opinion. The fact is that the idea of wine snob is a little vague to me in this context because I don't know if it's that they're just resentful of people who have more knowledge than them or if it is that they have had a bad experience from people who were actually just really bad and arrogant about wine. Yeah. The equation, though, of owning winery equals authority that, to tell me how to that spend was such my a, money a weird insertion uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're feeling a lot right now yes you're, you're just feeling a lot right now about your purchases you might have some buyer's regret it's okay if you want to get that frizzante i'm not gonna judge you for it so the next one i have is a quote tweet here we go so the original tweet is i struggle to trust people who prefer sweet wine because question mark question mark crying face emoji so like kind of tongue-in-cheek statement and the quote tweet says deliberately drinking dry wine says a lot about the problems you have or the features i just want to know why that's any indication on your character at all you can have sophisticated taste i am not this person but you can have sophisticated taste and prefer sweet wines. Yeah, 100%. I, I brought you that uh, that that bug juice that yeah. we, we both really enjoyed. That was in our, I, I think that was our sweet wines episode. Uh, I don't remember what episode that was, actually. I don't think about. Was it one of the sparking wine episodes? Okay, quick. Your, your mission is this, listener. You need to go and listen to all of our episodes <laughs> and figure out which episode I had him try the Rinaldi Bug Juice, which is a yes. fantastic sweet wine. Um, but yeah, the take that they just gave, it, it kind of, I don't know. Uh, you can have sophisticated taste and like sweet wines, just like you can really enjoy dry wines. I don't like sweet wines for a number of reasons. One of one of them being that, uh, you know, sweet wines will typically also boost your blood sugar pretty quickly along with the alcohol. And that's that's not great. Um, yeah, for for me especially, that'll give that'll make me crash. But yeah, the the idea of that being a marker on character, like there have been studies about like people who enjoy spicy food and stuff like that. But a lot of them are kind of more correlated. I don't know. I think that uh, I think that you just enjoy wine for different reasons than other people enjoy wine. Yeah, I I think pathologizing people's taste in beverages is weird and unproductive in general well i guess it's it's kind of funny but it's like it looks like we have three very different takes here we have the first one which was just kind of there mm -hmm. uh we have the second one which seems to to be kind of rebellious 
And so it's kind of following a lot of rebellious posts on Twitter, get a lot of likes. And maybe you're you're feeling some way about the way you spend money, I don't know. And then we have this other one that's kind of jumping into... This might not be the intent, but it feels like it's just jumping into the trend of taking something and blowing it out of context so you can seem like a therapist. Yeah, which I think Twitter's very good at, because Twitter's just good for taking your thoughts without examination and putting them on a public platform for millions of people to see. Yeah, and and also encouraging that type of behavior. Yeah. Which again, this is just kind of funny, but for the person who's trying to figure out what wine to bring to Thanksgiving, this would probably be the one of the worst. Oh, do not, for, do not. For them. Yeah, don't go, to, don't. don't go to Twitter for your yeah. opinions on wine unless you're going to at laid back <laughs> <laughs> and following and hitting that follow button, smashing that follow button. I will say uh, one of the only I don't even know if I call it good, though, but one of the most interesting conversations I saw a lot on the wine side of Twitter was the health risks and benefits of wine. Twitter just seems to be very passionate about it. There are very strong opinions on either side. I don't want to comment on it too much, but please be responsible. Please, you know, if you drink too much, make changes to rein it in for your own safety and and benefit and even enjoyment. Because after a certain point, you're not enjoying wine. It's just there to, you know, get more drunk with. No, exactly. And I don't want to tell people what to choose in their life, but I can tell you that that's not a healthy decision. Yeah. Although um, there there is one last thing before we move on from Twitter that I just need to get your reaction on. It's a picture, okay? I was wondering, because this looks like a... I, I can't see the details of this. It looks like yeah. some sort of like pasta. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the tweet is, a pasta dish, simple pasta dish, okay. used pork and veal meatballs, Okay. homegrown tomatoes, basil, and a good Parmigiano-Reggiano. Okay. And of course, wine. Would you like to guess what this red wine is, Michael? Well, I I do recognize that from this distance. I know what this is. (sighs) Dang it. And mm. it is layer cake Cabernet Sauvignon. That's. mm. So the reason I included this is this to me kind of encapsulates where I think a lot of lack of wine knowledge can really hinder you. Which I'm not trying to shame this person for enjoying this. If they genuinely I bet that they like loved it, this meal. I'm yeah, sure, and I, I'm sure that this wine even went pretty well with this meal, but not optimal. Layer cake is just not the wine I would ever go to for really any reason. To be honest with you. Well, also Cabernet Sauvignon with uh, with pork and veal, um, done in an Italian style. You're probably looking at some fairly herb heavy. Probably a little spicy in style, but not heavy the way that steak would be. Like if these mm-hmm. were beef meatballs, maybe. Yeah. Um, but layer cake is also pretty jammy. I was about to say layer cake is probably going to be kind of sweet itself, so that might yeah. have actually gone in its favor for that dish. But but it's not what I would have chosen. I would have probably gotten something with a little bit of a lighter body, depending on good at Nebbiolo. Cons- yeah. Yeah. Something from Italy. Something lighter, something that's going to uh, hit a little bit more with those, uh, with some acid. And you do want some tannins to stand up to that tannins. meat. But... Yeah, and you want some tannins in there, especially yeah. since you got some good acid from the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, having tannins with acid, that's always going to be great. And I hope that your garden's going well. Yeah. Uh, user who will not be named. I, You know what? That's actually a so interesting story. First time... So everybody talks about wine and chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something where if you look up wine and chocolate online, they will tell you that basically just eat wine with chocolate. That's that's the main thing. They don't really tell you what to eat with what. And having like a Cabernet Sauvignon that's with chocolate terrible is, advice. Yeah, no, that's objectively terrible advice. Yeah, having a Cabernet Sauvignon with chocolate is like the worst. And they'll even tell you, oh, it's dark chocolate, and it's almost like no, that's worse. No, exactly. It's just like you have fully missed the point, and I think that you're just punishing yourself because you think that things that taste bad make you cultured. Well, okay. So here's the thing: the reason why that doesn't work on a like scientific level mm-hmm. is tannins will up the perception of bitterness in pretty much anything. So the more tannin and the darker the chocolate, the more that chocolate is going to taste like bitter dirt. It doesn't matter how good the chocolate is. It doesn't matter how good the wine is. 
it's a bad pairing. 100%. Well, and that's the thing. This all boils down to a sensory experience that's caused from scientific factors. And that's what people who study wine, who might be labeled as wine snobs, are doing. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out how they can create a chemical reaction in your mouth that makes you go, yay. And that is the difference between popular opinion and scientific knowledge. Yeah. That, I think that would definitely qualify as a wine myth is the chocolate and not, well, not that chocolate and wine don't pair well together because some pair beautifully, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not every wine pairs yeah. well with chocolate or every red wine even. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the thing. It's just like somebody ends up hearing, oh, wine and chocolate. And then the internet goes crazy because everybody's trying to have an opinion. Yeah. So moving on, we do have YouTube. YouTube is interesting. YouTube kind of has the full spectrum of really good wine channels like Constantine Baum, who is a master of wine. He makes a lot of very good and educational content. He does use a hundred point scale. That is my only knock against him. I understand why he does it because it's probably the language most people have for wine. I would prefer to see wine people give reasons why they wouldn't use that instead, but that's just my own nitpick. So Constantine, if you come across this, I love you. You're great. So you like his takes. You just don't like some of his tools. It's not even some, it's just really that one. There there, there hasn't really been anything else from him that I've disagreed with. It's not even some. Get out. (laughs) I had to find a way to put a pun in here. Leave. You know, this is my (laughs) shit. But if we're going to go for hot takes on YouTube, and I will also say YouTube has a lot of good videos. Well, there are some good I also don't mind wine with Jimmy. Yeah. Um, he's he's WSET level uh, 4 certified, I believe. Mm-hmm. In, um, Diploma. Yeah, he's he's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean, there's good resources on YouTube, but YouTube is also a little scant on, like, really good high-quality content. And it's hard to discern it if you don't already have a working knowledge of wine. Yeah, and if you don't know what you're looking for. We also then have the contrarians that are on YouTube, and both of the videos that I'm going to talk about have millions of views, I think, for this reason. The first one is Expensive Wine is for Suckers by Vox. That's now, interesting. I forgot what it was like to be a contrarian after I started really educating myself on things. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to poo-poo wine snobbery because it's annoying, right? So the video has, in my opinion, some misleading framing And the framing of the whole video is that expensive wine isn't worth it, mainly because you might not enjoy it. So they do show some studies on the screens that talk about different studies that have been done in terms of uh, wine scores and reviewers and judges who are given things like the same wine and they rated it differently each time they taste it and stuff like that. This is a bit of a nitpick. And it's not that I disagree that a lot of panels and judges are flawed. Because I actually do agree with that statement. But the whole point of this video is expensive wine is for suckers, right? They did not link to the sources in the description of that video. Yikes. Which I hate because, sure, you can show an out-of-context screenshot of a study that agrees with your point, but the study itself might not actually say that. And yeah. that that's kind of a nitpick, but it is something that irks me. Yeah, point of order, uh, when when somebody pulls up a study, please do not take it at face value. Yeah. The framing is typically going to make a, a an assumption for you. Yeah. Um, so you really do need to know how the study was done. Science is a very specific practice. There are certain metrics you can learn in order to determine the efficacy of a study and whether or not it's actually addressing the point that any given commentator is going to give. Yeah. So... The problem that I think is the crux of my issue with this video is it does not differentiate between quality and taste in relation to style. Just because you like an $8 bottle, that doesn't mean that the $40 bottle that you don't like is not held to a higher quality standard from a production standpoint. Yes, certain Bordeaux that are $80 taste like earth, tobacco, maybe some fruit left, but a lot of oak on top of it. You might just not like that style of wine, but that is a style choice. That is a deliberate decision that was made. Mm -hmm. And your $8 barefoot wine that you might enjoy more, and that's valid, but that doesn't mean that it's a good wine. 
And it doesn't mean that you're shrewd for purchasing the cheaper bottle Correct. just because you uh, enjoy it. If you're enjoying it, great. Sure, and keep enjoying it. But if there's a more expensive wine that is too spec that somebody who has developed their taste in order to appreciate that, don't poo-poo them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not okay. That's not cool. Yeah. That you're doing exactly what the other wine snobs are doing. Yep. Well, you're you're doing the inverse, technically, right? Yeah. yeah. You're, you're eschewing wine knowledge in favor of the folk knowledge, I'll call it, exactly. of wine that says, oh, it's just overrated. It's this, it's that. It's like, well, no, these things are made to a certain standard for a reason. Well, and also, like, there's expensive equipment. There's expensive land, obviously. There's expensive labor. To, expensive labor. Yeah. You have to make sure your staff is taken care of. The thing about, though, really expensive wines is that they go beyond, and I mean this categorically, not not a matter of transcending, but a matter of categorical change. They go beyond being a beverage and they go into being an art. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to craft specific profiles, specific things that will evoke a specific reaction. They are not a wine product. They are a wine production, if that if that distinction makes sense. I will say, though, and this is going to get into what I actually do agree with the video on. In my opinion, so far in my wine drinking experience, I truly do not think that anything really justifies over $100 for a bottle. It might to you, and that's perfectly fine. And I understand that certain market forces do also constrain wine cost um, in terms of like Romane Conti is a single vineyard in Burgundy. It's very rare. So that drives up demand. But over $100, I just can't justify it really for any wine. Like, I, I, I'm i sorry. Like No, I hear you. And I can't say that as definitively as you would, because very honestly, Gabe is more educated than I am on the topic of wine. I will say I've had many wines that were were over $100 market value, mm-hmm. and I really liked them. Oh, I'm not saying that they'd be bad. Yeah. They, I'm just saying I'm not sure excellent. that they're actually worth that price point. Yeah. There is also, though, this kind of factor, and I guess if you know you had enough money to where like $500 was just a good time mm-hmm. on a Friday night, the idea of cost actually increasing... Or heightening the experience of a thing. Does it heighten it or does it in the long term deaden it? Because I have heard from several wine professionals, both in like personal experience and in like podcasts and stuff of, yeah, I tried a Roman A Conti and I was kind of let down because the price made it this thing in my head that it could never actually live up to. I guess that really depends on how you deal with positive expectation. That's fair. Because, again, when we're talking about the perception influence of the price of a thing, it's kind of like people talking up a movie. Uh, Like every time that I try to give Gabe a movie recommendation, I have to make sure that I don't show him my excitement. Otherwise, he is almost guaranteed to never watch it because he and I manage expectation very differently, (laughs) especially when it comes to things that are uh, media. Well, I, w- I was going to say uh, that the populace volunteers opinions on. <laughs> I am a little bit of a hipster in that regard. I won't lie. 100%, dude. You are. <laughs> yeah, you're a hipster. As soon as everybody's just like, we're on board with this. He's just like, oh, are you though? Are you though? Are you just saying that because everybody I think I think the thing about Gabe is, is that he is actually like the bison that stands on the ridge and it's just a little disgusted every time he sees a flock of birds like <laughs> like he's just a little bit disgusted at seeing the herd mood well move because he's just like well i can see the cliff i'm not sure all of you guys can well you know actually that kind of ties back into the things i agreed with that video on which was that judging can be inconsistent because one of the big points in the video was all these rankings and systems for critics and judges are so easily influenced by your perception of the wine. And one of the biggest indicators from studies was if they knew the price of the bottle, they were automatically predisposed to scoring it higher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that is a problem. It's that it's that perceptual influence thing. 
And that's why blind tasting is the best way to actually taste wine. And I will die on this hill. No, I'm very okay with that. Especially since we we typically do a guessing game as to varietal and source. So yeah. It, which is always fun as well. Yeah, but you, you shouldn't have your perception colored by anything, really, no. in my opinion. Um, no, no. Here's the product. How are you reacting to it? Yeah. It should not be influenced by the price. It's almost like the price itself becomes a form of peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I also agreed with a point that was that wine price does not reflect enjoyment. It's not a one for one. I like wines, admittedly, that do typically run a higher price point. I can't afford those wines a lot of the time. Same. Um, I have to find wines that I do enjoy that are also beneath that price point. But I also tend to look for more developed wines, wines that require more intensive care because they tend to be more complex, more earthy, darker, a little bit heavier, depending on the region and a lot of other factors. But we both like the taste of diesel in, yeah. in, our, uh, yeah, exactly. in our wines. I want to get lead poisoning just by smelling the wine. <laughs> It's just like our lifelong aspiration was actually to just work in a body shop. But, you know, it's just we couldn't. Life life had different plans. Life had different plans. So yeah. now we just drink things that smell like a body shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the next video that I wanted to talk about, and this will be kind of, I guess, the outro for this episode, uh, was a, an episode of Adam Ruins Everything, which was why wine snobs are faking it. Now, I actually do like Adam Ruins Everything overall. Uh, I think he does good content. I enjoy Adam Ruins Everything content. I think a lot of his arguments are are reductive for the sake of entertainment, though. I think that's probably fair, but I think that's kind of necessary to get the views that he gets. No, I totally get it, and more power to him. I find his content entertaining, and a lot of times it is educational. Yeah. So I'm not poo-pooing it. His thing on Patagonia was actually very good. But that's, it's a good stepping point. Just please don't watch his stuff and think that you're an authority on the thing that he's talking about. Please just don't do that. Exactly. So along that theme, uh, this video kind of had some similar problems to the box video. The studies were again referenced that used leading methods for tasting or even outright trickery, such as like putting coloring in a white wine to make it a red wine and then having judges score it because... That was one of our guesses of what might have happened to the zoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the reason I don't like that method is when you change a white to a red, the process typically that's used to make those wines is different. So, of course, your expectations are different. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that's a gotcha to say that wine reviewers are are full of BS or whatever, because it is a different product. Again, in general, I know orange wines exist. Don't come for me, natural wine drinkers. but it's true. Red wines typically have a different process overall, a different profile, a different this and that. And so scoring it based off of that is going to very much skew how those results are interpreted because wine is not just about the flavor. It's about the whole experience and what you know about the wine going into it. Yeah. I mean, this is literally a product where it's just like, oh, what is the microclimate that makes this what it is? Like, yeah. the production method is not a problem. It's a feature. It's a... Yeah. So... I, and it's just like, how is tricking people a gotcha? Yeah. Like, it's just a very weird thing to to pull. Maybe he was trying to go at it from a different angle, but it, it kind of just sounds like he... Well, let me say, at the end of the video, he did tie it back to a message that I actually very much agree with, which is a lot of wine snobs kind of are not as um, perceptive as they think they are oftentimes. Or maybe not as honest. Or as honest. And you should find wines that you like and not necessarily follow what the quote-unquote critical consensus of wine says you should. That I absolutely agree with yeah. 100%. And so I think the video ended very good. I just had some issues with kind of the start in the middle of the video. Yeah, no, it's like watching a How It's Made episode of Paperclips and being like, and that's how they get you. Yeah. But I do agree with that message wholeheartedly. And uh, in our next episode, we'll be getting into some more of the social platforms that are a little bit more on just like the trendy side where, where people are kind of following certain trends in order to try and boost views. But as as far as the message goes of like, you know what, go find a winery. 
go find an experience that you can have and be honest about it. Be okay not knowing uh, yeah, a lot about that, wine. And that be okay. is my biggest thing. Yeah, and be okay, be okay not knowing. Be okay not knowing. And be okay not liking something. Even mm-hmm. if you're talking to the winemaker, I can tell you as somebody, uh, I, I actually used to roast coffee as well. Um, my friends make fun of me. They say if there's been a job, I've had it. But I used to roast coffee and the, the problem was never, oh, you don't like what I make. If somebody didn't like a specific product because I had a variety of things that I was offering, it was always about finding their taste. Mm-hmm. And you're going to learn so much more and have so much more of a rewarding experience if you approach it that way. Yeah. And just be wary of online wine reviews on principle. Yeah. If the research for this episode and the next one has taught me anything, it's that it is not always reflective of reality what you find online. It is surprising what a person can just say with confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the expectation of trust means nothing online. And in my opinion, to a degree, the more confident someone sounds in terms of absolutes when it comes to wine, the less you should believe them. Yeah. And we'll be getting a a little bit into it in our next episode because hopefully and more than likely we're going to find some really bad reviews, some some good examples of bad takes. That being Uh, said, in between episodes... You have the major publications, which they are not perfect either. A lot of them are very market-driven. They kind of have to be to stay in business, right? Um, And that's not always a bad thing. Uh, So Wine Enthusiast, Wine Spectator, um, Wine Searcher is the one I'm I'm forgetting. Uh, That's a really good one, actually. They're very reputable. So if you do want to look at a review site, please don't look at Vivino. We're going to retract that endorsement just right here yeah, right now 100 percent. Uh, and do go to places where uh you have people who do design menus surrounding uh the idea of pairing wines with certain things it's okay to do some research i know that not everybody has time for that that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast because mm-hmm. we want you to be able to listen to this on your way to work but yeah have experiences be comfortable not knowing take Ask, classes if they're available take classes if they're and available. You're curious Ask us questions. We yeah. we would love to hear from you and answer anything that we can. Um, and at the end of the day, just be comfortable either liking or not liking what you're having. And then post it online. Improve the online social presence of honest people. And get lots of clout. Uh, uh, tons of clout. I promise you nobody will ever disagree with you online. Never. Never. Unheard of. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us this episode. Uh, hopefully we can uh, get this to an appropriate length so that we're not just talking your ears off. We hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. And we look forward to having you join us again for the next episode where, again, we are going into some more social media environments. And then we have a little something special to kind of round out the experience. So thank you guys so much. And we will talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Come on, Michael, get the clinkies. There we go. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers.